Hey folks, before we get started, wanted to discuss our brand new sponsor here at the Brian Nichols Show. And it's one you are familiar with because it is the one and only We Are Libertarians Network, but I have a little bit of a surprise. Yes, we have merch. The We Are Libertarians store is alive and active, and it can be found in the show notes. And guys, I, oh my goodness, we have some fantastic um, some fantastic shirts. Uh, so we have some We Are Libertarian shirts, uh, both with the new logo um, that was re- recently designed, but also the the uh, the old OG logo as well with the Statue of Liberty um, and the Sunburst. Uh, we also have uh, I, uh, I Heart Roads, or I Heart My Roads, uh, My Road. Um, yours truly, The Brian Nichols Show. We have our brand new, super, super schmexy Brian Nichols Show logo there on a, a couple of shirts. Um, we have polos, we have uh, posters, we have magnets, we have masks. Masks are pretty much mandatory everywhere. If you need a mask, get a Brian Nichols Show mask or a We Are Libertarians mask. You need a coffee cup or a, a knit beanie. I call them a toque up in northern New York. But everybody says I'm an idiot because I say toque and not beanie. Whatever. But you can get that too. And it does say We Are Libertarians, of course. Um, Gingerarchy has uh, some uh, some great shirts there as well. Another one of our fantastic shows. So click the link in the show notes. Support the We Are Libertarians store. But support your friends here at We Are Libertarians by rocking some awesome merch. So, with that, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes, like, homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. We did it! We went another week in the lockdowns where I think it's done. Uh, yeah, I think I think the lockdowns are done. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. I'm looking around and it just kind of feels like everybody's like, yeah, we're kind of over this the whole thing. I mean, so I was driving to the office today. I, I was like, oh, there's significantly more cars on the road this morning than there was this time last week. And I know for a fact that the week prior, there was almost no cars on the road. So I think I think the lockdowns are done, uh, whether people like it or not. I actually just saw a, a phenomenal video on Twitter of a guy in Las Vegas, um, because, of course, the slot machines are open. Vegas is open. And uh, the guy, he has a uh, an N95 mask on, and he lights a cigarette, and he put the cigarette, he slips it in behind the mask, and he, he leaves it there. There, and he breathes in through the mask and he actually inhales his cigarette smoke through the side of the mask. If that is not emblematic of how awesome America is, I don't know what is. So that being said, folks, of course, you are here on the Brian Nichols Show uh, for another phenomenal episode. And of course, I have another phenomenal guest. And it's one guest that has been on the show uh, actually a couple of times. And joining the show, once again, it is the one and only from Free the People, Matt Kibbe. And Matt joins the show today to discuss what the heck is going on in the world. And that really significantly um, focuses on what's happening with the George Floyd murder and the uh, the protests that took place thereafter. But Matt joins the show today to really discuss how we got to where George Floyd ended up having his life taken away at the hands of the police in Minneapolis, and how we got there, and how when we look at the lockdowns, and yes, I started out the show today with a little bit of a jest at the lockdowns, but how truly the lockdowns did actually kill George Floyd. How, not only that, but how George Floyd, COVID-19, the lockdowns, and 
how the Prime Act, how they're all related. They all are connected. And I think it's important today to have Matt Kibbe on the show to show you exactly how that is. So, with that being said, on to the show. Matt Kibbe here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's great to be back. I was just looking at our uh, Skype conversation from a little over a year ago. Today, we probably need to talk more than once a year. (laughs) I'm on board with that for sure, especially because it seems that there's a lot that happens between uh, when we last spoke and where we are today, and even from when we spoke prior, because, I mean, we are in a 24-7 news cycle, and the news uh, agencies make sure of that, but I mean, goodness, Matt, 2020, things are, are just crazy. I mean, we go from starting off the year, possibly going into World War III, Kobe Bryant uh, dies. Um, what else? I mean, then then the coronavirus starts to hit. Um, then then we have, uh, what was it, the, the crazy wasp, um, the murder hornets. Now we have Martin solar flares. Nuts. I'm terrified what comes next, Matt. I mean, here we are recording June 8th. Um, you're down in D.C. I'm in Philadelphia. We're, we're right now looking at our cities on lockdown because of race, um, not, only, not only because of the, the race riots that were taking place, but also because of this COVID-19 lockdown. And even still, you know, here we are three plus months now removed from the initial lockdowns. People are still, you know, in their homes. I mean, goodness, New Jersey has continued their emergency orders another month. It doesn't seem that there's an end in sight. And a lot of people I think right now are just, they're getting fed up with things. So, I mean, with that being said, Matt, a lot to cover. What's been going on over at uh, Free the People and over in your world since the last time that I guess we, uh, we last connected over a year ago? So, I mean, you know, generally Free the People has has really tried to focus on on stories and messages and even language that translates liberty into something that that people outside of our intellectual bubble can can connect with. And and one of the reasons I love your show so much, because I think you share that that same that same mission. You know, our, our job now is not to have these sort of uh, uh, alleyway arguments about the finer points of of the non-aggression principle. Our job now is to reach a massive audience. We have these tools, we have these technologies that allow us to do that. And and it's, it's painful, painful and transformative if we could actually connect with that broader audience. So that's what Free the People was always about. We, you know, we morphed into a, essentially a video production company. My entire team, is made up of videographers and actors and storytellers and and uh, a couple technologists that know how to actually get those stories in front of the ears and eyeballs we want to reach. But the 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 challenge today, and, and maybe it's an opportunity, but in some ways this is the least libertarian year of my life. Um, you know, we're passing uh, trillions and trillions of dollars in spending. Um, my mayor in Washington, D.C., I didn't even know what her name was, but she apparently <laughs> has the authority to tell me that I can't leave my house unless I'm on essential business. And and at first I was just like, how is this even possible? Is this some sort of weird episode of Star Trek or something? Right. Um, but, you know, you obviously we, we all know um, you know, big state governors like uh, Cuomo in New York and yeah. The governor of California and others have have taken this this drac- draconian approach of of locking everything down and and I think that's part of where this tinderbox came from. Well, I know it is. I mm-hmm. you know forty million people out of work and you know all of all of the experts and and blue check opinion makers and and the political class and and the bureaucrats uh, they got their jobs. They're getting paid even if they're not going to work. And they probably can't put themselves in the shoes of people that live paycheck to paycheck, the shoes of people who are actually trying and wanting and, and sort of thriving off of, of being able to go to work. Mm-hmm. 
this is a government manufactured disaster. It's a man-made disaster. And it's, it's, it's sort of refocused free the people almost a hundred percent since the, the COVID lockdown started. And we've been just, just been talking about this. And now we're talking about how the uh, police violence um, and, and the, the, the looting, all of this is, is not unrelated. And this could be an opportunity to connect with those audiences, but we should probably not have a 10 year and not just rage against the machine, but actually try to understand what people are frustrated about. Yeah. And that's, that's partly the problem with politics nowadays. It seems everybody has uh, an answer to the problem, but they're actually not addressing the cause of the problem. So the problem just comes back, you know, down the road. It's like, uh, you know, having cancer in your arm, you cut the arm off, you're like, ah, no more cancer. It's like, well, that's not exactly how that works. Um, but you mentioned, Matt, that the tinderbox, and, and obviously, as I, you know, I mentioned there when we started off, right now we're recording in the middle of, you know, not only the COVID-19 lockdowns, but also with these nationwide protests that are in response to the police murdering of uh, George Floyd over in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it, it, I think it is important, and you did start to address this, and I want to, um, we'll, we'll kind of dig into this, um, also referring back to uh, your most recent episode there over at uh, Kibion Liberty on part of The Blaze with uh, Eric July, and discussing how George Floyd, he actually, he lost his job um, because of the COVID-19 lockdowns, and here in the information we actually received today, finding out that this lockdown may not have been necessary because according to the WHO, now it's showing that if you have, if you're asymptomatic with it, with COVID-19, that it's actually very rare to, to spread COVID-19. So now here we're sitting with 40 plus million Americans unemployed for essentially, and a lot of people are going to say no good reason. And I'm nervous because you're going to see a lot of people out there who were, were touting, trust the experts, trust the experts, trust the experts. And now people are going to be told to trust the experts, and they're not going to, um, especially in times when they they most certainly should listen to experts. But it's almost like this uh, boy who cried wolf mentality. But Matt, you know, let's let's kind of go back to the point you were making before. This it is all related, and it's 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 very negligent of the mainstream media to completely ignore how George Floyd's death and the COVID nineteen lockdowns are related. So I'll set the stage there. Can you walk us through start to finish how um, really we get from point A to point Z in this this just absolutely wild and often very frustrating t- entangling web of just government messing things up across the board? Yeah, I mean, it, it all gets back to, uh, I mean, I couldn't possibly go on your show without quoting Hayek, but, when, uh, you know, Hayek would call this a fatal conceit. And you, you had uh, the governor of Minnesota, um, deciding arbitrarily based on the science, primarily from the CDC, the World Health Organization, um, these econometric models that uh, from the Imperial College and now turn out to be wildly speculative and flawed, um, that they could somehow re-engineer human behavior um, to to manage the spread of a virus. And I, at the time, in, in mid-March, I didn't actually have to know uh, much more about the virus than any of us knew at the time, because I knew that what government typically does in these situations actually exacerbates the problem mm-hmm. uh, because a market is a mutual support system. A market is the process b- by which people living in a radically uncertain world, they they know what happened yesterday, but none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is the entire basis of, of Hayek's critique of socialism. If you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, you need this this, brought, this process of people figuring stuff out 
in order to mitigate risk, in order to manage un radical uncertainty. And if it's a global pandemic, you're talking about as uncertain as, as it is possible. And what happened is the, 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 the government uh, dictators took it over and they're like, I know better. I know everything. Um, you listen to Cuomo and he, he would say stuff like that. Um, and I take responsibility. And he started making decisions that he thought were the right decision, such as hurting recovering COVID patients in the nursing homes, mm -hmm. yep. which which even then was a stupid decision. I don't I don't understand why they thought that was ever a good idea, because they'd already done this in Italy and there was already the body bags to prove that it was a really bad idea. Right. But you had you had uh, you, you centralized decision making at the very moment when you needed a very decentralized process so that local hospitals could manage capacity based on their particular needs of time and place. Instead, the governor of uh, New York decided for them. And it was a disaster in terms of managing the healthcare crisis. It was a disaster in terms of mitigating the disease. But maybe most importantly, it was a disaster in, in undermining this, this productive machinery that keeps us clothed and fed and cared for when we get sick. And, and my first piece was, you know what, um, you're going you're gonna to break this mutual support system that, that keeps us healthy. And, and maybe it's less devastating in the United States, but you could look at places like India right now where people are, are, are starving to death. And, and understand that the arrogance of government planning kills people. Government kills people. Mm -hmm. yep. It does. Well, we, we fast forward to where um, George Floyd ended up losing his job during the lockdowns. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, during your conversation with Eric July, I believe um, he was, he was a, a bouncer for a bar. Is that correct? Yeah, he was a bouncer at uh, a, a bar, restaurant, nightclub kind of a deal. So shut down with the rest of the, you know, the, the other restaurants inevitably because the government said that this was the right thing to do. So George Floyd loses his job and, and then he's caught using a counterfeit $20 bill. Um, and this is really what starts this entire uh, altercation with law enforcement. And I mean, I, I forget who it was. Actually, no, who it was? It was um, former LP candidate, Sam Robb. He, um, he had a really great tweet and it was basically summarized. We need to remember that every single law at the end of the day is enforced either at the end of the gun or in this case, at the end of a, an officer's knee. Um, and and it, how how just absolutely horrifying was it to watch on video for, I believe the video, Matt, was what, nine minutes or so of um, the officer who, I'm not even going to say his name because his name's not worth it, um, but literally with his knee on George Floyd's neck for a solid nine or so minutes. And as George Floyd, I can't breathe. I can't breathe until you know his words stop because he, he, he passed. And people watch that. And I mean, what, more of an example do we need not only just as as libertarians but just got as people like this isn't right number one but number two this is the inevitable outcome of when we give government so much power because we've we've delegated and also we've relegated so much responsibility away from ourselves into the hands of these you know these faceless bureaucrats and I mean, look at what the, the officer did. He is the inevitable outcome of a system that answers to faceless bureaucrats. And I mean, to him, George Floyd was nothing more than just another, you know, another you know, pawn in in this massive machine that just needs to, you know, do what they're told. And I mean, right now I think we do have, and I would say, yes, 2020 is a very unlibertarian year, but I would dare say, Matt, and I want I would love to hear your perspective on this, that at maybe right now this could be a libertarian moment because right now 
everybody's eyes are open for, for better, or for worse. I mean, you have no sports. There are no safety release valves. Everybody is tuned in like 24 seven. The focus is on, you know, 100% intensity. And I think people are so focused and they're so motivated right now. And yes, they're looking for some solutions that, Hey, we, we've been pretty consistent in our messaging for pretty much forever. And we have, you know, the ability, I think, to to reach out, especially with the treasure troves of, I mean, not only the podcasts that you've done, but I mean, folks like Dave Smith and Tom Woods, We Are Libertarians, Lions of Liberty, like there are, are you know, just thousands and thousands of hours of podcasts ready to go to say to, you know, your lefty friends um, who who are, maybe are, are trying to, you know, show that they're on board with, with the movement, say, look it, here's, here's some actual solutions. So I'd love to hear, Matt, is this maybe a chance for libertarians to have a real like lasting libertarian moment and bring people into the movement because we are offering real practical solutions. I really, I really think it is, but, but we have to listen better than we do because we uh, can easily be just as tribal as the other tribes. <laughs> when we, when we launch into these debates hey, and I'm truth. thinking, I'm thinking specifically of, of phrases that are all important today. Black lives matter, and systemic racism, and and I'll tell a story that I've I've never told publicly, and I'll I'll exclude the names to protect the privacy of the meeting. But I'm I'm part of a progressive working group, and we were meeting a couple of years ago, and several of the founders from Ferguson, Missouri, um, that that had been at on the ground at the beginning of Black Lives Matter, were making a presentation, and one of their bullet points to deal with police brutality was to break up police unions. Hmm. And, and, and I sit up and said, um, I would love to work with you on that. And I'd love to work with you on this other stuff. Um, I didn't, I was one of those guys that, that, you know, the knee jerk response, um, early on when black lives matter started was, was to, to retort, uh, all lives matter guys. And, and that should be sort of the MLK vision of a colorblind society and all that stuff. Yeah, I was right there with you. And, and what, what they were saying, and I, I, I didn't learn this until I, I stopped um, reacting and started listening, is that they're saying black lives don't matter enough, particularly when it comes to the justice system and law enforcement. And I, I think we need to appreciate that and, and understand what they're trying to say. And the same thing with, with systemic racism. I know, I know a lot of us sort of uh, criticize that, but when I was talking with Eric July on my show the other day, um, he, he draws the distinction between racism and statism. And, and I would parse that slightly differently to try to, to get into the mindset of people that talk about systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Um, the systemic part is the government monopoly enforced part. And that's not just police unions, but it's, it's, uh, um, qualified immunity. It's, it's all of these things. It's civil asset forfeiture. It's all of these things, militarized, militarized police, free strike laws, war on drugs, I mean, the, the laundry list. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, making all this voluntary activity illegal, starting with the drug war. But there's there's a zillion laws that, that the police have to enforce. They have to erase. They have to arrest moms um, violating um, um, covid shelter in place rules when they're playing with their daughter on playgrounds. They're, right. they're put in this impossible position. And all of that is the systemic part that results in in very clear racial disparities in outcomes of the enforcement of justice 
So that that to me is is the the window of opportunity for libertarians to point out to um, people that are worried about about racial justice that it is the power of government that weaponizes racism. And I, I think I think that's an interesting path to, to go down. And um, I just had Maj Ture, uh I, I did a show with him today, and he's going to be on uh, this week on Kibbe on Liberty. But I but I think that is, there's an opportunity there. But we got to listen first and not just have our knee jerk reaction. Um, but, you know, the other half and I've I've seen some people sort of uh, apologizing for the violence and the looting. I'm I'm an absolutist when it comes to nonviolence and, and oh, both as, yeah. as, a, as a moral position, but also as uh, Dr. King taught us, violence is a way to get more violence out of the cops. And, I, and my fear is that that a lot of this actually comes out if we don't do this right with with the police state stronger, with a lot of Americans sliding back into that old Joe Biden law and order sort of mentality. Um, we, we need to make sure that that we don't conflate peaceful protest and violent looting. Those those were two separate things and generally speaking, two separate groups of people. Um, but the, the risk here is that that the the violent police state that we are supposedly protesting against actually becomes stronger. Well, and we have history to look back to kind of, you know, unfortunately affirm our fears. One look no further than with Nixon winning back in, in was it 68, 70? Um, and that was almost in a direct response to the the unrest that took place throughout the 60s. So, I mean... <laughs> Again, look at somebody like Mary, Mayor Giuliani in New York City. I mean, he was known as America's mayor because he really ran on this tough on crime and, um, you know, sloganeering in New York City. And he inevitably ended up winning the election because people were they, they were looking for kind of that answer to what they saw as a, a crime problem. And I mean, I think one of the best things that we can do as libertarians is just to reframe the, the issue and make it not a matter of policing, but make it a matter of the, the crime itself. You know, one of the, the best Twitter handles I follow is a crime a day because it shows you just how many pointless laws are out there. And I mean, let's, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves in the, the, the Twitter, a crime a day, every single one of those could technically be enforced at the threat of gun, uh, you know, at the threat of a gun. And, and that's, Something that's scary. I mean, I think actually the uh, the, the Twitter uh, handle tweeted the other day. It was like, I I shouldn't exist. Like a crime a day Twitter handle should not exist. And th- I mean, how true is that? Because there are so many laws out there that it does inhibit us from you know having the ability to to live a truly free life and honestly to engage in just peaceful interactions with one another. And I mean, not only do we see that right now with police brutality, but also in response to just the government truly just messing things up in terms of just the one domino goes down and then all the supply chains do start to, to crumble. And we're seeing that right now with the, um, the, the meat industry and, you know, only one, really one congressman has been standing up from the start raising this issue. And it is one of our common friends. Uh, and that is one. Yes. Mr. Thomas uh, Massey from Kentucky in his support of the prime act. So Matt, let's kind of start out and, and set the stage here of why is, well, first, let's, how about this? What is the Prime Act? And why is the Prime Act so absolutely necessary, especially in a time of the COVID-19 lockdowns? So the, the Prime Act, and, and the, the context is uh, Congressman Massey does, in fact, uh, raise cattle on his farm in Kentucky. Um, it's, it's all based on, on the radical uh, farming ideas 
of uh, of the lunatic, lunatic farmer Joel Salatin, and it's it's very eco friendly. It's it's very um, local board kind of approach to things. A great great documentary that was done by by you know, yourself and your great team over at Free the People that really digs into not only Thomas Massey's you know off the grid um, farming but also his off the grid lifestyle. It was a fantastic watch and definitely um, I think actually we discussed it the first time you were here on the show. Great great documentary. Yeah, and it, it's um, it, it's actually one of those documentaries that that we all aspire to because it it reaches audience outside of of our bubble, and uh, a lot of people that love that movie had no idea who Thomas Massey was, the congressman. Mm-hmm. They just knew him as a, as a farmer that was a good good shepherd of of his land and his resources. Um, but in that process of raising cattle, he wanted to sell to his neighbors, and he discovered that there was just a host of bureaucrats and regulations that would prevent uh, local uh, farmers and, and people that raise cattles, cattle and pigs and, and that kind of stuff to sell directly to their neighbors. It all had to go through a very centralized system um, that was regulated by Washington, D.C. And there's, there's this notion of uh, in, in public choice economics called regulatory capture. And it's basically a fancy way of saying that Big corporations love regulation because, and they'll, they'll actually grow regulation because it prevents um, small competitors from breaking into the marketplace. And that, that is exactly what's going on with meat processing in America. It's super centralized to the biggest uh, meat processors are actually owned by the countries of uh, China and Turkey, which is, is sort of fascinating to discover in an era when 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 meat production is breaking down because of of the lockdowns and and what massey's bill does is he basically says um and it's not i mean a hardcore libertarian solution would be we don't need these regulations because local people are not going to sell bad meat to their neighbors and there's actually no data showing that that's ever been a problem it's it's legal to give a hamburger to your neighbor but it's not legal to sell them one and all of the all of the tainted meat in the United States comes from these massive, highly regulated uh, meat processors. So, so what he wants is is decentralization, um, and and he'd, he'd love to sort of uh, lift some of that burden on on local guys. And it's it's particularly important right now because um, we have a uh, a fairly big disruption in the food chains because of the lockdowns. But but his point is this was a problem before COVID. This was a problem before lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very centralized, uh, rickety, um, fragile system. And and it just gets, to, it, it's one of those stories, I think, that is appealing to people outside of the libertarian and maybe conservatarian, constitutional conservative world, because it gets at the sort of localism that I think a lot of, uh, of progressives and independents um, believe is is a better world. I mean, people are hyper aware right now, too. I mean, people are are so focused on what is going on. And I mean, Matt, I, I'm going to make a, a, a guess, my, an educated guess, as they say, a hypothesis. And that is, I'm going to say right now that in America, the lockdowns may have been the government's worst mistake because it only brought into focus just exactly how many things the government was doing that actually caused more problems. Because, I mean, really, like, to your point, and this is Massey's point all along, is that, yes, you know, the Prime Act is necessary now, but this has been an issue long before the the COVID-19 lockdowns 
police brutality has been an issue, but it's been an issue long, long, long before the COVID-19 lockdowns. You're seeing um, inequality start to skyrocket. It's been an issue long before the the COVID-19 lockdowns. And if anything, this is just exemplifying all the issues and it's starting to magnify specifically on areas that the government is actually the ones causing a lot of these problems. And I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that people are starting to wake up to that. And it the people who are waking up are typically the people who would not be our political allies. So, I mean, I'm kind of smiling thinking that we we do have a chance here. And yes, because we are, you know, allies, especially on the issues that are at the top of the mainstream. So with that being said, Matt, you know, the Libertarian Party just nominated uh, their nominee in one Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Clemson professor in business psychology. Fantastic guest here on the Brian Nichols Show, episode 103 for folks who want to listen. Um, but, you know, she probably is one of the most articulate voices that we've had as, as a face of the party, both in terms of, you know, her, number one, she's a college professor, but number two, actually knowing the the, the principles of being a, a true libertarian. So with that being said, Matt, I mean, obviously you're you're part of the, the Blaze family, you and Eric um, with, you know, the Glenn Beck empire built over there, and you guys are the oddball libertarians. So I know, I'm not sure specifically if Eric is supporting um, Joe, and I'm not sure if I've heard kind of your stance, but I would love to get your perspective on Dr. Jorgensen, not only as a candidate, but also the Libertarian Party's prospects as we go towards the uh, the 2020 election. So I um, um, I, I will I've, I've never said anything about her, which is why you don't know my opinion about her. <laughs> and, um, I want to I want to frame this in the context of of what I did in 2016. I, um, I left FreedomWorks to to help Rand Paul run for president, and and when Rand Paul pulled out of that race. Uh, my wife Terry and I started a super PAC for Jerry Gary Johnson called Alternative PAC, and uh, we we created an ad that featured a, a comedian dressed up as Dead Abe Lincoln. Best ad of the 2016 campaign, by the way. And and by the way, that was uh, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but the numbers were astronomically huge. That was more viral that ad was than anything Trump did, and Trump has real uh, viral uh, ability. Uh, or Hillary Clinton, and Hillary has no viral ability, but she had a ass ton of money, so that that <laughs> that helped that helped her do that. But but we beat them with this with this one ad, um, and um, I'm I call myself a recovering Republican. I I don't um, I don't put a ton of stock in political parties. They they generally can be empty vessels, and and I'm interested in ideas. But Ron Paul taught me that politics is a great stage to talk about ideas. It's a great time when people are are paying attention um, to the debate about ideas when they don't normally do that. Um, so um, fast forward to uh, Joe Jorgensen. Um, I, I was hoping that Justin Amash would be the nominee. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and, I, <laughs> and I know that, I know that I, I've watched a little bit about the internal debates within the, the LP between you know, do we want a real libertarian, whatever that is, but it's capital R, capital L, um, or is is Justin Amash not good enough? And and I'm looking at it from a different point of view. Who can break through the media noise? And and I'm doing an experiment with Joe. I checked her out. I, I didn't know that you did a show with her. I'm going to listen to that. But but I listened to some of the stuff that, that Chris Spangle did um, with her and uh, Spike uh, Cohen. Cohen yep. And I'm, I'm doing an experiment to see if, if, if 
either of them sort of break through um, in the social media that I consume every day. And they haven't really yet. And, and my, my, my only concern is that if we have a really great candidate that nobody knows and nobody ever hears about, did we accomplish anything? And I, I'm, I'm an outsider. Don't, don't please big L libertarians. Don't get mad at me. About this. Um, but I want a platform where the ideas are attracting new converts every day. And, and I don't know much about her and I'm, 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 I'm eventually going to, to go do the research for myself, but I've sort of purposefully not done that because mm -hmm. I want to see if her message comes to me and not vice versa, because uh, most people are not going to do the kind of research that I would do on a candidate. Uh, does that make any sense or am I just being oh, yeah. about it? No, no, it 100% makes sense. And and actually, that's kind of speaking to something that a lot of libertarians have been asking the question, and that is, you know, what is our, our, our outreach to people outside of the movement? Because, I mean, by and large, if you're going to talk to a libertarian in general, they're, they're probably going to be more, you know, involved in politics in general. Because, I mean, to be a libertarian, there it almost comes with a lot of responsibility. Like, you have to be up on your stuff. You can't just kind of, like, pass and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I like this and this. Like, you actually have to know this stuff, and you have to, you know, be up to date on the news. So... I mean, I would dare say that if you were to ask a libertarian, they're gonna be like, oh yeah, Joe, um, yeah, she, uh, she ran against, uh, Hornberger and, uh, Vermin Supreme. That's right. And that, that's gonna be the conversation. Whereas if you go and ask your, you know, 80 year old grandpa, hey, grandpa, you know, who, who was, uh, who, who do you want to vote for this year? It's gonna be Trump or Biden. And he's not gonna know who Dr. Jorgensen is because we, we're not reaching his demographic through the channels that they are used to. So I think our real opportunity is gonna be, focusing, you know, specifically on the right demographic. And I think we're, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic for some reason here in 2020, and there's been no reason to be optimistic at this point. Um, but she's been focused specifically on issues that a lot of, I would say, Gen Z, millennials, and I would say maybe some Gen Xers as well focus on. Um, and I won't even tell you what they are. I'll let you go ahead and find them, Matt. Um, but I, I'm hoping that with her messaging specifically on those issues that would resonate with those generations, that maybe that will help you know foster some more people towards her. Um, I just I don't think she's reaching the the traditional voter. And again, one of the sad realities, just you know from you know political science. And I I, I know Thomas Massey is now a fan of political science, but as a guy with a degree in political science, it has its place, and it's gonna be right here. Um, when you look at traditional voting groups, um it's going to be the old people. Old people vote because number one, they don't have as much to do during the day. So they're more, they're more involved. They're more up to date with at least what the news is being told on the TV. Um, but number two, it's kind of like, you know, the thing that they do. Um, young people aren't as apt to because, you know, they, they're busier schedules. Um, they're, you're, you and many times working several different jobs. So I think it's going to be getting the people who would be her supporters to actually go out and vote. And my God, I mean, that's pretty much been, any candidate's vision is to get the right people to go and walk to the polls. So, I mean, obviously, we're not going to give any, uh, you know, any free advice to any uh, candidates out there. Um, but Matt, do you think reaching the uh, the younger demographics is a winning strategy, or do you think maybe it'd be better to do kind of this, you know, overreaching, uh, you know, trying, I guess, many different prongs, if you will, and trying to reach some of those older, more likely voters to actually go out and uh, and vote. Well, we, we, we specifically target young people because it's an underserved market and politics ignores them. And I think the political parties ignore them. And I do think, uh, and I'm, I'm very sympathetic to this sort of chicken and egg problem because, um, you know, they kept Gary Johnson off of the presidential debate stage and that, 
that is where traditionally um, you have attracted the attention of other people. And and he was very much drawing the young vote away from Hillary Clinton. Um, and then the, the the what was quite friendly press turned quite hostile because the assumption, I think, was that Gary Johnson or any libertarian candidate would hurt the Republican. And that's not actually how it works. Yep. We we draw from both parties. And, and mo- most importantly, we draw people in that wouldn't vote otherwise. The and, majority of people, honestly. Yeah. And that's um, so I would uh, I don't I don't think you necessarily have to choose between young people and everybody else because because I think our message is universal. But uh, young people are a neglected demographic. And and, it you know, back to my earlier point, um, if it depends on what you think the point of the Libertarian Party is, are we are we trying to win? Or are we trying to get our message out? You you probably have to do both in order to get your message out because if you're if you're flatlining in the polls, um, the the news media doesn't want to talk to you. They 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 want to talk about the fight. They want to talk about the race. They want to talk to competitors, and um, you you need somebody that's that's sort of out there on, on social media and and doing that stuff which is why i'm conducting this test i mean i i know enough about her to know that she's a very qualified person that that i I probably agree with her on everything but but i'm not um i'm not looking to feel good about this i want (laughs) i want to i want to move the needle and the needle requires that that we 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 break up the two-party duopoly and the only way we're going to use that is by leveraging technology and storytelling and, and all that other stuff. And if we can't do it through politics, um, I'll, I'll stick with what I'm doing with it. But it's uh, it's an opportunity. And sooner or later, um, we're going to break this up because everything else is breaking. Man, the New York Times is on fire today. And like old media is dying and and old corporate closed systems are dying. And and the one thing that's left is a two-party duopoly. So we're, we're going to break it. But but I think we break it with the same sort of um, compelling and subversive messages that that we've been talking about a little bit here. And I know I know a lot of libertarians talk about that all the time. And, and that's where we need to go. Well, the uh, the late Andrew Breitbart said uh, politics is always downstream from culture. And uh, hey, right now, I mean, right, literally right now, everything that we see before us is a cultural discussion and we have a chance to influence with our libertarian ideals. And uh, what better way to do that than uh, telling stories? And you're doing a great job, Matt, as always over at Free the People. Uh, so folks, Matt Kibbe over at Free the People, also over on the Blaze TV, Kibbe on Liberty. Matt, where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media? Um, I am, I am on everything. I've, I've been locked down based on government demands for three months. So I've been spending way too much time on Twitter, <laughs> um, Facebook, uh, free the people, all of these things, Instagram. I love Instagram cause it's, uh, it's, it's not quite as toxic as some of these other platforms, but, but, but we do everything. And, uh, if, if you really want to check out, the work that we've been doing in terms of video production and storytelling, go to freethepeople.org. It's essentially a channel. Um, right now it's, uh, it's like HBO go, but without the billions of dollars of financing and without the, the sort of, uh, uh, one size fits all politically correct left-wing slant. Um, and you can see, you can see the Massey documentary there, um, off the grid with Thomas Massey. And this week, and I'll give one final plug if I got just one second. Go for it. We decided to release our first feature-length documentary 
that's entitled How to Love Your Enemy, A Restorative Justice Story. And um, we, we were going to take this to the film festivals. In fact, we had already taken it to several film festivals and won awards before the COVID lockdowns. But it's about basically, essentially, I, I won't use this word anywhere else but here because it's a toxic word. But how would you privatize the criminal justice system, get it out of the hands of the top down um, authority figures that are using power and force to, to um, lock young kids up? And ruin their lives, and and give it back to the community, and and restorative justice is a process where where um, victims are made whole, where people that perpetrate a crime um, are given an opportunity to take responsibility for that recidivism in this town of Longmont, Colorado, where this this documentary is featured, um, is dropping. Uh, respect for the police is skyrocketing because. It is a cooperative process that's designed to make people whole instead of punish people and make them pay a debt to society. So we, we decided we're going to release that this week because, um, because of what happened in Minneapolis and what's happening across the country. Um, there is a, an opportunity for systemic change, to break the systemic part in systemic racism. And we would like to, to feature these, these social entrepreneurs in Longmont, Colorado, that are doing it. And one guy's, one guy's a police chief. The other guy, uh, the other woman runs the, uh, the nonprofit that, that sort of innovated some of these ideas. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that this week. Well, how about this? My, my day job, Matt, is in sales, so I have to lead the show then with a call to action. In this case, folks, after you're done sharing the Brian Nichols Show episode here with Matt Kibbe, make sure you head over and share the episode uh, to this great documentary, How to Love Your Enemy, a restorative justice story. I will include that link in the show notes. So that's the homework for the audience this week. Share today's episode and share How to Love Your Enemy. Matt Kibbe, Free the People. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Always a blast. Thanks, Brian. It's awesome. All right, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation once again with the one and only Matt Kibbe from Free the People. Great work over at freethepeople.org. Please go ahead and click on the link in the show notes. Check out Free the People. Share their stuff. They do great work. Uh, specifically, head over and, number one, I want you to share the Thomas Massey documentary. If you haven't yet, shame on you. Please go ahead and check that out. It is a great documentary, and it just gives you a much more, uh, I guess, fun side of Thomas Massey. I mean, Thomas Massey's a fun guy in general. Listen to my episode with him back uh, earlier, I guess it was last year. Yeah, last year. Wow, time flies. Um, was it last year? I don't remember. The, the lockdown literally has changed my entire concept of time. I I think last week feels like literally months ago. It So anyways, Thomas Massey was on the show. I think it was this year, actually. Um, and, and with that, you get to see that fun side of them. But also, I want you guys to go and, and check out that documentary that Matt just talked about, How to Love Your Enemy, A Restorative Justice Story. That is your mission for this week. I said it at the end of the show. I'm going to say it again. Please go out of your way. Share that with your family and friends right after you share today's episode here from The Brian Nichols Show with Matt Kibbe. So with that being said, guys, it was an absolute blast having you join us here on The Brian Nichols Show for my conversation with Matt Kibbe. And if you enjoy the show, of course, share with family and friends. But I, I want to make sure I, I'm in the loop. Give me a, a tag on social media, both on Twitter, Facebook, and Minds.com. I can be found at B. Nichols Liberty. Tag me. I will go ahead and give you a retweet if you have the show link at B. Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook. And I say retweet, yes, because Twitter is my like domain. 
Facebook, I, I, I'll give you the means. But if you tag the Brian Nichols Show on Facebook, I will also go ahead and give you a reshare. Is that the thing we can agree to? A reshare? Um, and also, folks, if you have not yet, please head over, smash that subscribe button over on whatever it is that you listen to the show on, whatever podcast catcher it is. Uh, but also, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating and review if you have not done so yet. I would greatly appreciate it. And I'm going to get to a, a point here. I'm going to do an episode coming up where I'm going to read some reviews. And I haven't done that in about a year or so. So I think it was a year at least because my concept of time is gone. So we'll see what happens. But hey, go ahead. Give us a review on The Brian Nichols Show. I will go ahead and read it on air. And uh, guys, one last note. If, if you enjoy uh, all that we're doing here at the We Are Libertarians Network, the greater uh, We Are Libertarians Network, including... Yes, the, the big show, We Are Libertarians podcast, uh, but also the work that Chris Spangle is doing with the Pat Down, um, but the other new shows on the, the We Are Libertarians Network, like the uh, the Remzo on the Run with Remzo Mar- uh, W. Martinez, uh, of course, yours truly here at the Brian Nichols Show, Ginger Arkey with Trisha Stewart, uh, and of course, the, the the OGs, the Boss Hog of Liberty um, with uh, Jeremiah and Dakota there. Um, guys, this would not be possible without you, the, the awesome member of the audience and your support. So you heard at the beginning of the show, we have merch, right? So if, if you support... Not only the Brian Nichols Show, but the We Are Libertarians Network and all the work that we're doing. And, and honestly, we are doing a lot of work behind the scenes to give you guys content that you enjoy. And, and it really, it, it is humbling to see the numbers every single week. I mean, you guys, you thousands of downloads every single week for all of our shows across the network. It's it's awe-inspiring and, and truly it it speaks to how awesome you guys are. So if you if you want to do your part and support the independent media like us, head over to our merch store. Purchase a shirt. Like, number one, you're going to look awesome wearing it. But number two, it goes to help support our shows. It keeps us on the network. It helps keep costs lower uh, for us. So if you guys would, please go ahead, click that link for the sponsorship in your show notes. Go ahead, get some merch. And if you, again, hey, if you if you show me a, a picture of you with the merch, if you're rocking the t-shirt or hoodie or you got the new magnets on the side of the fridge, or hey, if you got that awesome new face mask that says We Are Libertarians on it, We'll go ahead and retweet you at the We Are Libertarians big channel, but also uh, at my uh, my Twitter as well, at B. Nichols Liberty. So with that being said, folks, stay safe, stay smart. It was an absolute blast having you here on the Brian Nichols Show. But once again, signing off for the one and only Matt Kibbe. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.